start us with ministry of the word. Yeah, we heard we heard uh, already this word. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Behold. That's like take time to think about it, consider it, to uh, really think about how much God really does love us, how much He really has done to make that known to us. He sent His Son into the world. He sent Jesus because in general man didn't understand God. Uh, children of Israel, they uh, went through their time of being delivered out of Egypt and going through the wilderness and all their experience. I think basically you could say in general they thought God is too difficult. God expects too much. And um, there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who somehow understood something different. To me, it's a sad, a sad thing to realize that only two of all those 600,000 that came out of Egypt, only two seemed to understand and wanted to follow God. May God help us that we all want to follow God young and old, all of us, because he's the only one who has something really for real to offer to us. Um, we see the chaos and confusion that is happening in our country today. People don't know God. And they look for what they can get out of this life. But there's something so far better than just what we can get out of this life that uh, it becomes dim what this life has to offer compared to the glory that is to be revealed. So I praise God that we can be called the sons of God in truth. And this, I want to emphasize this part. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. That is, when we shall see him, we'll, we, we, we will be like him when we shall see him. And um, I think for me, I see, I need to see Jesus daily. I need to have that vision of Jesus daily because that's going to make me behave myself, isn't it? It's going to make me behave myself. It's going to make me love my wife as I should. It's going to make me be kind to my neighbors. It's going to make me live unselfishly because that's how he was. He was unselfish. He gave his very life. He gave everything. Although he, he owned everything, yet he gave everything for us. So... Let us, as we go through life daily, let us keep this prayer in our heart. Lord, help me to see you for what you really are 
and help me to pursue that for myself, because that's life. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And uh, for, for the most part, men don't think of life in that sense. They think of life as what you can get out of life here and this earth. But this is, if we, if we see this, what we're going to, and then we purify ourselves even as he is pure. How do we do that? We, we see in something written in Timothy, um, which is really the, the same thing. Um, chapter 4 of Timothy. First or second Timothy? First Timothy 4. First Timothy, okay. first Timothy 4. He ends up with this chapter in verse 15 and 16. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. That is far more than being half-hearted, lukewarm. Jesus talked about lukewarmness in, in uh, Revelations to the church, uh, the angel of the church of Laodicea. I think it was there. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. You know, most people want to have it good, don't they? Nope, nobody wants to have a bad life. <laughs> we want to have it good. We want to be able to have a nice time together. <laughs> We don't want to backbite each other, and, you know, we don't want this, uh, what does it say in Hebrew, lest the root of bitterness spring up and many be defiled. That can come so in a sneaking way and all of a sudden, what happened? I have to think of something that uh, I experienced one time. I had this man from New Jersey. He was a a man from Nicaragua that married a Puerto Rican lady, and I became friends with them. And I, but he he uh, she was a Christian, and he had been a Christian, but fell back into drugs, heroin, and um, so. I took him to Delaware, and we had him there for a period of time. He he stopped his heroin use. He you call it cold turkey, you know. He just he he threw up. He was so sick, but he was determined. He's not going to do this anymore. I felt so sorry for him what he was going through, but he. He won the victory, and then I took him, one day I took him back to, he had three children, and him and his wife, and, and his home, I took him there, and she said, Dan, that's the man I got married to. He looked so different to her now, he was like not, not the same, but then something happened.
That's what I want to say this because so quick something can happen. Uh, then he told his daughter to do something and she paid no attention to him. And that anger came up and he began to shout and make demands on her. And she looked at me and said, Damn, what happened? She was so disappointed. She thought now he came back clean. But that's how human life is. If we're not careful, it can happen just like that. Um, I praise God today that this man finally came through. But what happened after I took him back, he, started, he ended up back there in his environment, got back into heroin, started selling drugs again, and he got arrested. He was in prison. I went to visit him in prison. And uh, then when he, they released him, they sent him back to Nicaragua. His wife went down, but she said, I can't live there. I can't live in that environment. It's too terrible. But he lived there. And uh, in the last words I got, I got, got to know his two sisters that live in Camden. They said, he is a totally changed man now. <laughs> totally different. And he called me many times, wanting me to come down there, down to Nicaragua. Hmm. But I never got to go there yet. I said I'll try to come with one of your sisters or whatever and go down and visit him. And I, I still have that in my heart. I'd love to see him again. Hmm. Yeah. His name is Robert Mendes. Uh, Roberto. Anyhow, it's just an example of life, how it can come on bonus, you know different things, but he, when he was free from this heroin at my house, he was so zealous. He was really, really wholehearted for God, and uh, yet he lost it, but he came back. Praise God for that. So, and um, this word, take heed. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. So, take heed to how you behave and <coughs> the doctrine, the teaching. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So, this is what makes life so hopeful. If we really love Jesus, if we really want to give our all to him, we can't be half-hearted and just be a, how would you say, just be a normal Christian. Just have a, this testimony, I, I have given my heart to Jesus. Uh, he has forgiven me and I'm on my way to heaven and, and uh, then your behavior and the, the way you act doesn't, doesn't really represent that. 
we have a hope in our hearts. I don't know if you know, is that a song that we used to sing with Smithson? There's many good songs that I've learned from them, and uh, I, I would be happy to help you learn them. Anyhow, let us provoke one another to love and good works. That's what it says in Hebrews, provoke one another to love and good works. By taking things in the right way, by doing what Jesus tells us is to provoke others to lay hold of it too. Hey, that's what I want. That's what I've been praying for. Let, don't give up. That's what happens to many people to give up. They settle for something less than they need to. So we have a heavenly calling, a high and holy calling. God says, be ye holy for unholy. Holy means, uh, the best I can understand it is to be pure, to be free from sin. If you're sinful, you're not holy. So God bless all of us with that as our goal. Amen. begin by reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Passes we've read many times. We'll talk a few minutes. Beginning in verse 1, Mark 6 1. And he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? But they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, or he was astonished, because of their unbelief. This morning I want to talk about unbelief and what it leads to. Jesus came back to his hometown, hometown Nazareth. I guess this was a synagogue he grew up in. They knew him very well. And they heard the stories about him. And now he comes and they, they begin to hear his words. And instead of rejoicing you know, and making him the hometown hero, <laughs> or something like that, like they do with many other things, they're offended with him. And it talked about G uh, that Jesus was astonished at their unbelief. 
He was he marveled. He was amazed at their unbelief. And I heard something that was equally amazing this week. I was listening to an audio book while I was at work with my head, my ear jack, and while I was working, and it was a preacher from the 1800s, and he was a famous preacher, and he would go, he would do conferences and everything, and. This particular conference was a pastoral conference. In other words, it was a bunch of pastors there that he was going to preach to. And so he asked, in the beginning of the, of the conference, he asked, how many of you brothers, honestly now, before God, spend one hour a day in prayer? And he said, nobody raised them. And he started to whittle it down. He said, well, how about a half an hour? And he saw one or two hands here or there. That's it. And then he said, okay, well, how about five minutes every day? And he said there was a few more hands. And this is the, this, he said, and these are the brothers these are the leaders of churches. And he said he was astonished at that. And what he called a prayerless spirit. And what's at the root of that? You know, and that's what we want to explore today. What is causes men and women of God not to pray the way they ought to? Not to be committed to regular everyday prayer. You know, we sing that hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. But then, boy, we can make excuses to whittle that down. And here you are, leaders of churches, not committed to regular prayer. And you, it's, it's <coughs> astonishing. Not condemning anybody, but it's, again, astonishing <coughs> that something like this is real. And I think that each of us can confess that we've gone through our deserts too, times of having a prayerless spirit. But we have to get out of that. We can't stay in that place. The Bible talks about it as being one of the parts of our armor, full armor of God, to be able to stand up against the wiles, the schemes of the evil one. Why don't we pray the way we ought to? So from there, I want to go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And we begin to see the very root of the prayerless spirit. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This is, of course, the sin of Adam and Eve. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And that's the question. Where are we? Where are we at spiritually? These are people who had a relationship with God. But when they sinned, and that sinful nature is an enmity with God. And you see that right here from the very beginning. It is the flesh, our human nature, that keeps us and at enmity with God. And as a Christian, we have to understand that and deal with the real issues because we've been given authority over the flesh. We've been given power to subdue and control and to put to death and to crucify that nature. Because that's the nature that is at enmity with God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You know, not coming to God. Staying away from God. And here God is. The privilege of the children of God to become His children and Him to be our Father. And here we are, staying away from Him. Prayer is not just calling on God for the things that we need, certainly part of it. But it's much greater than that. A prayer life is a life of communication with God. We're par- we were parents. Can you imagine the experience of having children who don't want to talk to us? Who don't want to be around us? Who like to stay away from us? It's not a pleasant feeling. But yet we can be treating our Father like that and not coming to Him. He desires that. You see in that story of the prodigal son, that that son that's away, he comes back, the Father comes charging after him and hugs him and embraces him and celebrates. And all of heaven celebrates. These are the words of Jesus. God desires to have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with each of us. What is keeping us who are in Christ from it? That old man, that old nature. Our selfish ambitions, cares of this life, desires for many things, the busyness of life, it's all out there, more and more. And so... God wants us, like the prodigal, to come back. Get away from all that. Get out of that place and come back to me. And spend time with me. This is what I want. Isn't that what we want to do with our children if we're a good father? We want to have time with our children. And you don't want them to just ignore us and accept that they want something. Hey, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? Thanks. See you later. And that's, a, that's, that's a relationship? No. It's not a relationship. It's not a real relationship. The Father wants us to come to Him. 
and to embrace who he is and to draw close to him as Jesus says we talked last week Jesus said come to me if you're thirsty if we're thirsty for that father-son relationship if we're thirsty to know him come to him and he says there's going to be a river that flows through you through, through it flows out of you he's going to fill us with his spirit that's how it happens it's not rocket science we come to him and we find our relationship with him that way God so loved us that he gave his own son how much more he says will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? how much more will he bless us in a relationship with him as we draw close to him that's what he's waiting for draw close to God and God will draw close to us he's waiting on us Waiting for us to come to him in a prayer in a prayerful relationship and to know him. It's a lot more than getting what we need from him and getting what we want from him. It's not Santa Claus. It's much bigger than that. We have the privilege, the opportunity to come into a relationship with not just someone who loves us, but someone who loves us, gave himself for us, gave his son for us, and oh, by the way, he created everything. And he's promised us not only eternal life, but eternal life with in mansions with him, to spend eternity with him, this great God who loves us, and to be like him. We read this morning. We don't know what we'll be, but we know that we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What privilege, what honor. The God, that, that great God, that loving God, is going to take us to be with him forever. Fear not, little flock. It is Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What kingdom? His kingdom. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. I mean, it's just laid out there. So then why, why are we reluctant? What's going on? Why are we reluctant? And we come to Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse uh, 4. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. This reveals to us the nature of our problem. When we're carnally minded, the things of God, the things of the Spirit, become strange to us. We begin to lack understanding about these things. We harden our hearts. The great blessing that we can have in coming to, if we really see it, and we really embrace it, oh, we're going to want to come to Him. But there's an unbelief. And that unbelief comes from the carnal mind. We have a promise of life to forever with the Lord. This is just a time that we're passing through as pilgrims and strangers in the earth. This is We have no continuing place here. This is temporary. We set our, high, our mind not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. That's the spiritual mind. But if our mind is set on earthly things, then we're going to have a problem. Then we're not going to understand the blessing and the comfort and the wisdom of coming to the Lord and spending time with Him. Let's make a commitment. Now we're dead the Lord. Let's do that. Just alone with Him. An hour a day. When we get up in the morning, before we go to bed at night, whenever, let's try. We're not sure about all this. Because as we become spiritually minded, we begin, our eyes are open. That this is, this is God's way. Having a relationship with Him and drawing close to him in prayer. Why aren't all these leaders of churches doing that? It's a deception of the human nature, the natural mind, the old man. It's a deception. And it is so easy for us to fall into it. I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't experienced it who's been a Christian for a while. And the answer... is to be spiritually minded and to find that life, that living Christian life that Jesus talked about, the abundant life. I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. A spiritual life. It's not for Him. It's for us. He's doing this for us. Of course He wants a relationship with us. Of course He loves us. But it's us who gets the benefit the privilege of the children of God the people who are not the children of God don't have this privilege they don't have this right they may throw out prayers 
to a God of their own understanding. But it is to the God, the true God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the God. That if we become His children, we have a privilege that is amazing and powerful. That we can come to Him with our burdens every day. That's a privilege. That's not a task. That's not a job. It's not an obligation. It's well beyond that. It's a privilege and a blessing to come to our Father every day and to be in His presence. What do you think we're going to do when we get there? You'll see Him as He is. at enmity against God. Of course, the enemy of our soul, the devil, is also trying to distract us, doing every kind of exercise, every kind of jumping jacks he can to, to divert us and to distract our attention away from these truths. Every kind of distraction you can imagine. And sometimes you just have to shut that phone off. Turn off whatever media, whatever distractions, and get alone. I think that we can make a lot of excuses for why we don't have that kind of time. But I think that a lot of that stuff is lesser things. Some of those things are real, but again... If we come to the Lord, remember, it's not just us desiring to be, to be in contact with Him and to be filled with His Spirit. He desires that also. And He desires to help us. And so, when we read later in chapter 8 of Romans, He says, in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray as we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We just bring our burden to the Lord, and we don't know how to pray the way we should. But we have a helper if we're in Christ. The helper is the Spirit of God himself. The Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. And that Spirit of God is praying with us as a helper. Jesus called him our helper and our comforter and our guide. To help us in prayer. To guide us in our prayers. And to pray along with us to the Father, but according to the will of God. We don't always know what the will of God is. The Holy Spirit does because he's God too. And so he intercedes to the Father, it says. In verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
Holy Spirit, our helper, in presenting our prayers. We present them as best we can, but we have a prayer partner, a most powerful prayer partner, the Spirit of God, presenting our prayers to the Father according to God's will. And it says, also, in verse 34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who is making intercession for us. Another prayer partner who is praying for us also. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father where he presented his blood to the Father. And it is because of this blood that we have access to the throne of the Father. We can come boldly to the Father. Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy for our time of need. We can come boldly through the blood of Jesus. If we're feeling ashamed and and uh, unworthy, we just empty it all, confess our sins, repent, whatever we need to do. Through the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly, be cleansed and purified, and then we're clean and we can come boldly before the throne of grace. The word justified, as is mentioned in the book of Romans, I heard preachers saying, we could say it's just as if I'd never sinned. We can be cleansed completely, that God cast it in the sea of his forgetfulness. And he will remember our sins and our evil deeds no more. Justified. Accepted before God. Through the blood of Jesus. That's what it's all about. And then we can come boldly. Because we are, the, we are his children. And we are free. We are in a place of liberty. So finally, I had a few more thoughts I had written down. The Bible says to continue earnestly in prayer. We need God's help in that, the assistance of the Holy Spirit in that. And to put to death the flesh that's trying to resist us in this. This is something. We have to recognize our enemies. I remember one time these people were studying... This was back in the 60s. People were studying all the things about the Russians and everything. Back that time, the Russians were enemies of the United States. So why are you studying you know, your enemies like that? Well, we've got to know what they're up to. We've got to know what they're about. We have to know what our enemies are up to. And the enemies of our soul, the Bible talks about the devil. But also, our human nature, the flesh, is in resistance. It doesn't understand the things of God. That's why the Bible tells us to crucify, to bring it to the cross and deaden it. We also read in Romans 8, it says, If we live after the flesh, we will die. But if we 
through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. And that's our obligation, it says in there. That's our exhortation to us. That flesh that's resisting us, resisting us going to prayer, resisting us getting to know our Father, resisting us having that right and, and that joyful relationship, that abundant life with Him, we got to crucify that. we got to put that to death. It's resisting us. Continue earnestly in prayer. We read a couple weeks ago in the men's meeting in book of, the book of Acts, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. When you devote yourself to something, that means you're committed to it. Devotion. When we have devotion to something, we're committed to it. We're persistent in it. We're fervent in it. Persistent, the, the fervent, what's it saying uh, about Elijah and James? The something fervent prayer of the righteous man. Effective. The effective, thank you. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous man. Fervent, hot, compassionate, on fire. Peter says, using the word fervent, he says, the elements will, when, when the Lord destroys the heavens and the earth and creates a new heaven and the earth, it says the elements will melt with fervent heat. James talks about prayer being that way, fervent. Well, how do I get to that place? Crucify the flesh. And Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. Come to me. And we hear that call from that still, small voice. And when we've been with Jesus, and when we're with Jesus, our life changes. And the peace of God that passes understanding overtakes us. Let the peace of God rule your heart. This message is not just for just certain ones, it's for everybody. To come to Christ. cross of Jesus delivers from the prayerless spirit, from all the works of the flesh, from this resistance that resists us, that keeps us on the merry-go-round, and keeps us from the life of prayer. You remember when Jesus cast out the money changers that were in the temple? You remember that story, right? He comes in there with the whip cords and he drives out all the herds and the cattle. He turns over the, all the money changers are ripping the people off right in the temple. And he said, it is written from the Old Testament, he quotes, my house shall be called a house of prayer to all the nations. But you have made it a den of thieves. So where is that house of prayer now? It's not in Jerusalem anymore. Where is that temple of God? The Bible tells us that we're the temple of God. The house of prayer. 
God has called us to be a house of prayer. So now it's time for us. It's time for us to take and turn over those things that are not right in our hearts. To drive out those things not in our own strength but by the Holy Spirit to death those things that are not right in that temple and to honor God in our hearts and our, and our body and our minds and our spirit to be separate holy and undefiled the work of God because God is at work in us he calls us to work it out work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to do and to will of this good pleasure. That's what I have to share. Any brothers have anything else to comment on this or anything else? Uh, just have we got fit like 15 minutes yet? Use it. Just something in Luke 18. Luke 18? Luke 18, yeah. It just uh, gives the support and encouragement on what you were talking about prayer. one I start reading and he spake a parable unto them as the, to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint so uh, by that I can understand that the tendency is to lose heart and to faint to lose courage because you know, we want, to have, we want to see our prayers answered. But uh, it, he goes on and he says, There was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Um, you know, I heard I heard one share about that one time. He said, "Why does he compare God 
in a sense, with such an evil man, the unjust uh, judge. But you see, speedily, to answer the prayer of speedily uh, may not be like we think of speedily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God has always our sanctification and deliverance in mind in all that he does. So if we withhold from instantly answering my prayer, he has something more in mind than that. So, but he does it as quickly as possible, I would say that. As quickly as it's safe to give me what I pray for. Or maybe first he wants to help me change my mind about what I'm praying for. Maybe he's saying, hey, that's not something you really need. But one thing that it brings out is that we have a Father that loves us, like we heard. He, it's not just we have to beg and plead and, and it's so difficult to get attention and get his attention and all that. No, he's very interested. He's very interested, not just that um, he answers my prayer, but also that I'm interest, interested enough in my prayer that I give it uh, to God to teach me what I need to change what I need to see, how I need to understand things, because maybe my prayer isn't perfect, you know. So, but the key is, don't lose heart, don't give up, don't throw up your hands and say, God never answers my prayers. I hear, I, uh, I heard people say that. Mm -hmm. I remember one time, I was in Camden, New Jersey, I was, I just came out from getting something to eat and of course when I went when I went there I usually made some sandwiches and took some sodas along to share with people but then this man come walking across the street came to me hey would you give me a few dollars I get something to eat I said I have something for you I'll give you a sandwich and uh, I gave him a sandwich and then I start talking to him about the Lord and how, you know, God can help us. He got so fiercely angry, he took the sandwich and he threw it in the trash. He never answered many prayer for me. He was so mad. Something really drastically happened to this man. He, but it's like, we have to give up our will before God, not demand our rights or what we want, but let, let's open ourselves up to God. What is wrong with me, God? <laughs> what do you want to change so that my prayers are more in harmony with your will? So that it's not, you know, it says they that delight themselves in the Lord. Uh, 
Tell yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Give you the desires of your heart. It was like that man, I think I shared this one time, that man I was working for, and uh, that was, um, what do they call that? SUV, Cadillac SUV. Escalade. Huh? Escalade. Escalade, yeah. Come, come around the corner. He said, damn, that's what I want. And God said, if I delight myself in him, he will give me the desires of my heart. Wow. Uh, I saw through that one. <laughs> I saw through that one. I was like, delighting in the Lord is not delighting in that thing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but anyhow. <laughs> we need to learn from God. <laughs> There's so much to learn. If we're willing. If we're willing to learn, he'll teach us what, where the true values are. What, if I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to show me what's really important in life. What is really the thing I need to make life good. It's not about all these earthly things. It's about a divine life. About being able to love when people hate me. Not well up inside and angry responding that way. But anyhow, if, let's not give up. Let's not lose heart. If things don't look right, let's keep going. Let's keep praying. Lord, what do you want me to change? <laughs> yeah. Something Leonard Ravenhill used to say was uh, that our spiritual life, you know, can in some ways be gauged by our prayer life. You know, are we, are we looking for opportunity to slip away and be alone with the Lord, are we seeking after that and desiring that? Yeah. Um, or are we, is our prayer life as about attractive as a mouthful of sand, is what he would say. But um, I think it's true, though. I think um, we, if we look at our life and uh, reflect on how how much we desire to slip away and to be with the Lord, you know, and, and if we're not, um, it's an indication that there's something wrong, something wrong with our, our spiritual life. So back to where we started today with, with the unbelief, how can a whole group of leaders of the church, most of them, not be praying? And having a regular prayer, do you think you would think that that would be just a natural thing to do? But it's not. Even no matter who you are, and no matter what your position in the church, it's not the natural thing to do to pray. And it's a spiritual thing to do, not the natural. And what is at the root of it? Unbelief. Not believing that all the other things we're doing instead of that are less important than being alone with the Lord. It's a deception, a grand deception. And we have to fight that with everything in us. Crucify it, the Bible says. It's the flesh. Oh, I gotta do this first. Oh, I gotta do that first. Oh, I gotta do this. And after that, I gotta do that. And after that, I gotta do that. There's that. There's that merry-go-round. You know? I remember when Kate and I got married. 
A lot of things when I get home, I, you know, she'd been with the kids all day, so I wanted to take some time to be alone with the Lord, you know. And then sometimes, you know, on my day off, I'd have, you know, I mean, we would make, we would help each other out with that. Be considerate of each other's spiritual need to be able to, you know, so it's, there's, you can work it out. If there's a will, there's a way to do it. God will show you. Jesus was approached by his disciples, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And sometimes we don't know how to do this. You know, we don't know how to reorganize our life and reschedule it so that it's in proper priority. Lord, teach me. Come to the Lord. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me how to get, get close to you. Teach me these things. I know that's what you want. That's what I want too. Of course, that's what the God. Of course, that's what God the Father wants. If we want it, then we're in agreement with Him. Let's pray. Start us with ministry of the Word. Yeah, we heard. We heard. Uh, Father has bestowed upon us. Behold, that's like take time to think about it, consider it, to uh, really think about how much God really does love us, how much He really has done to make that known to us. He sent His Son into the world. He said, Jesus, because in general, man didn't understand God. Uh, children of Israel, they uh, went through their time of being delivered out of Egypt and going through the wilderness and all their experience. I think, basically, you could say in general, they thought God is too difficult. God expects too much. And um, there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who somehow understood something different. To me, it's a sad, a sad thing to realize that only two of all those 600,000 that came out of Egypt, only two seemed to understand and wanted to follow God. May God help us that we all want to follow God, young and old, all of us, because he's the only one who has something really for real to offer to us. Um, we see the chaos and confusion that is happening in our country today. People don't know God. And they look for what they can get out of this life but there's something so far better than just what we can get out of this life that uh, it becomes dim what this life has to offer compared to the glory that is to be revealed. So I praise God that we can be called the sons of God in truth. And this, I want to emphasize this part. And every man that hath this hope 
in him purifies himself even as he is pure. That is, when we shall see him, we'll, we, we, we will be like him when we shall see him. And um, I think for me, I see, I need to see Jesus daily. I need to have that vision of Jesus daily because that's going to make me behave myself, isn't it? It's going to make me behave myself. It's going to make me love my wife as I should. It's going to make me be kind to my neighbors. It's going to make me live unselfishly because that's how he was. He was unselfish. He gave his very life. He gave everything. Although he, he owned everything, yet he gave everything for us. So let us, as we go through life daily, let us keep this prayer in our heart. Lord, help me to see you for what you really are and help me to pursue that for myself because that's life. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And uh, for, for the most part, men don't think of life in that sense. They think of life as what you can get out of life here and this earth. But this is, if we, if we see this, what we're going to, and then we purify ourselves even as he is pure. How do we do that? We, we see in something written in Timothy, um, which is really the, the same thing. Um, chapter 4 of Timothy, First or second Timothy, uh, first Timothy. First four, Timothy. First okay. Timothy four. He ends up with this chapter in verse fifteen and sixteen. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. That is far more than being half-hearted, lukewarm. Jesus talked about lukewarmness in it. <clears throat> In uh, Revelations, to the church, uh, the angel of the church of Laodicea, I think it was there. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. You know, most people want to have it good, don't they? Nope, nobody wants to have a bad life. <laughs> We want to have it good. We want to be able to have a nice time together. We don't want to backbite each other. And, you know, we don't want this, uh, what does it say in Hebrew? Lest the root of bitterness spring up and many be defiled. That can come so in a sneaking way and all of a sudden, what happened? I have to think of something that uh, I experienced one time. I had this man from New Jersey. He was a, a man from Nicaragua that married a Puerto Rican lady. And I became friends with them. And I 
but he, he, uh, she was a Christian, and he had been a Christian, but fell back into drugs, heroin, and um, so I took him to Delaware, and we had him there for a period of time. He he stopped his heroin use. He you call it cold turkey, you know. He just he he threw up. He was so sick. But he was determined. He's not going to do this anymore. I felt so sorry for him what he was going through. But he he won the victory. And then I took him. One day I took him back to. He had three children, and him and his wife, and, and his home. I took him there, and she said, "Damn." That's the man I got married to. He looked so different to her now. He was like not not the same. But then something happened. That's what I want to say this because so quick something can happen. Uh, then he told his daughter to do something, and she paid no attention to him. And that anger came up. And he began to shout and make demands on her. And she looked at me and said, Damn, what happened? She was so disappointed. She thought now he came back clean. But that's how human life is. If we're not careful, it can happen just like that. And I praise God today that this man finally came through. But what happened after I took him back, he ended up back there in his environment, got back into heroin, started selling drugs again, and he got arrested. He was in prison. I went to visit him in prison. And uh, then when he, they released him, they send him back to Nicaragua. His wife went down, but she said, I can't live there. I can't live in that environment. It's too terrible. But he lived there. And uh, in the last words I got, I got, got to know his two sisters that live in Camden. They said, he is a totally changed man now. <laughs> totally different. And he called me many times, wanting me to come down there, down to Nicaragua. Hmm. But I never got to go there yet. I said I'll try to come with one of your sisters or whatever and go down and visit him. And I, I still have that in my heart. I'd love to see him again. Hmm. Yeah. His name is Robert Mendes. Uh, Roberto. Anyhow. It's just an example of life, how it can come on bonus, you know, different things. But he, when he was free from this heroin at my house, he was so zealous. He was really, really wholehearted for God. And uh, yet he lost it. But he came back. Praise God for that. So, and um, 
this word, take heed, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. So, take heed to how you behave and <coughs> the doctrine, the teaching. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So, this is what makes life so hopeful. If we really love Jesus, if we really want to give our all to him, we can't be half-hearted and just be a, how would you say, just be a normal Christian. Just have a, this testimony, I, I have given my heart to Jesus. Uh, he has forgiven me and I'm on my way to heaven and, and uh, then your behavior and the, the way you act doesn't, doesn't really represent that. We have a hope in our hearts. I don't know if you that a song that we used to sing with Smithson. There's many good songs that I've learned from them, and uh, I, I would be happy to help you learn them. Anyhow, let us provoke one another to love and good works. That's what it says in Hebrews, provoke one another to love and good works. By taking things in the right way, by doing what Jesus tells us, is to provoke others to lay hold of it too. Hey, that's what I want. That's what I've been praying for. Let, don't give up. That's what happens to many people who give up. They settle for something less than they need to. So, we have a heavenly calling, a high and holy calling. God says, be ye holy for unholy. Holy means, uh, the best I can understand it is to be pure to be free from sin. If you're sinful, you're not holy. So God bless all of us with that as our goal. Amen. <clears throat> this morning I'd like to begin by reading the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. It's a passage we've read many times. We'll talk a few minutes. Beginning in verse 1, Mark 6, 1. And he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, 
that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? But they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, or he was astonished, because of their unbelief. This morning I want to talk about unbelief and what it leads to. Jesus came back to his hometown, hometown of Nazareth. I guess this was a synagogue he grew up in. They knew him very well. And they heard the stories about him. And now he comes and they, they begin to hear his words. And instead of rejoicing, you know, and making him the hometown hero, <laughs> or something like that, like they do with many other things, they're offended with him. And it talked about G, uh, that Jesus was astonished at their unbelief. He was he marveled. He was amazed at their unbelief. And I heard something that was equally amazing this week. I was listening to an audio book while I was at work, with my head, my ear jack, and uh, while I was working, and it was a preacher from the 1800s, and he was a famous preacher, and he would go, and he would do conferences and everything, and. This particular conference was a pastoral conference. In other words, there was a bunch of pastors there that he was going to preach to. And so he asked, in the beginning of the, of the conference, he asked, How many of you brothers, honestly now, before God, spend one hour a day in prayer? And he said, Nobody raised them. And he started to whittle it down. He said, well, how about a half an hour? And he saw one or two hands here or there. That's it. And then he said, okay, well, how about five minutes every day? And he said there was a few more hands. And this is the, this, he said, and these are the brothers these are the leaders of churches. And he said he was astonished at that. And what he called a prayerless spirit. And what's at the root of that? You know, and that's what we want to explore today. What is causes men and women of God not to pray the way they ought to? Not to be committed to regular everyday prayer. You know, we sing that hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. But then, boy, we can make excuses to whittle that down. And here you are, leaders of churches, not committed to regular prayer. And you, it's, it's <coughs> astonishing, not <coughs> condemning anybody, but it's, again, astonishing <coughs> that something like this is real. And I think that each of us can confess that we've gone through our deserts too, times of having a perilous spirit. But we have to get out of that. We can't stay in that place. The Bible talks about it as being one of the parts of our armor. 
full armor of God, to be able to stand up against the wiles, the schemes of the evil one. Why don't we pray the way we ought to? So from there, I want to go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And we begin to see the very root of the prayerless spirit. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This is, of course, the sin of Adam and Eve. So when... The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate it, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And that's the question. Where are we? Where are we at spiritually? These are people who had a relationship with God. But when they sinned, and that sinful nature is an enmity with God. And you see that right here from the very beginning. It is the flesh, our human nature, that keeps us and at enmity with God. And as a Christian, we have to understand that and deal with the real issues because we've been given authority over the flesh. We've been given power to subdue and control and to put to death and to crucify that nature. Because that's the nature that is at enmity with God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. You know, not coming to God. Staying away from God. And here God is. The privilege of the children of God to become His children and Him to be our Father. And here we are, staying away from Him. Prayer is not just calling on God for the things that we need, certainly part of it. But it's much greater than that. A prayer life is a life of communication with God. We're par- we are parents. Can you imagine the experience of having children who don't want to talk to us? who don't want to be around us, who like to stay away from us. It's not a pleasant feeling. But yet we can be treating our Father like that and not coming to Him. He desires that. You see in that story of the prodigal son, that that son that's away, He comes back, the father comes charging after him and hugs him and embraces him and celebrates 
and all of heaven celebrates. These are the words of Jesus. God desires to have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with each of us. What is keeping us who are in Christ from it? That old man, that old nature. Our selfish ambitions, cares of this life, desires for many things, the busyness of life. It's all out there, more and more. And so, God wants us, like the prodigal, to come back. Get away from all that. Get out of that place and come back to me. And spend time with me. This is what I want. Isn't that what we want to do with our children if we're a good father? We want to have time with our children. And you don't want them to just ignore us except when they want something. Hey, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? Thanks. See you later. And that's, a, that's, that's a relationship. No, it's not a relationship. It's not a real relationship. The Father wants us to come to Him and to embrace who He is and to draw close to Him. As Jesus says, we talked last week, Jesus said, Come to me if you're thirsty. If we're thirsty for that father-son relationship, if we're thirsty to know Him, come to Him, and he says, there's going to be a river that flows through you, through, through it flows out of you. He's going to fill us with his spirit. That's how it happens. It's not rocket science. We come to him. And we find our relationship with him that way. God so loved us that he gave his own son. How much more, he says, will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will he bless us in a relationship with Him as we draw close to Him. That's what He's waiting for. Draw close to God and God will draw close to us. He's waiting on us. Waiting for us to come to Him in a, prayer, in a prayerful relationship and to know Him. It's a lot more than getting what we need from Him and getting what we want from Him. It's not Santa Claus. It's much bigger than that. We have the privilege, the opportunity to come into a relationship with not just someone who loves us, but someone who loves us, gave himself for us, gave his son for us, and oh, by the way, he created everything. And he's promised us not only eternal life, but eternal life with, in mansions with him to spend eternity with Him, this great God who loves us, and to be like Him. We read this morning. We don't know what we'll be, but we know that we'll be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What privilege, what honor. The God, that, that great God, that loving God, it's going to take us to be with Him forever. Fear not, little flock. It is Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What kingdom? His kingdom. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. I mean, it's just laid out there. 
So then why why are we reluctant? What's going on? Why are we reluctant? And we come to Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse... Uh, four. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. This reveals to us the nature of our problem. When we're carnally minded, the things of God, the things of the Spirit, become strange to us. We begin to lack understanding about these things. We harden our hearts. The great blessing that we can have in coming to, if we really see it, and we really embrace it, now we're going to want to come to Him. But there's an unbelief. And that unbelief comes from the carnal mind. We have a promise of life to forever with the Lord. This is just a time that we're passing through as pilgrims and strangers in the earth. This is We have no continuing place here. This is temporary. We set our, high, our mind... Not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. That's the spiritual mind. But if our mind is set on earthly things, then we're going to have a problem. Then we're not going to understand the blessing and the comfort and the wisdom of coming to the Lord and spending time with Him. Let's make a commitment. Now we're day. Let's do that. Just alone with Him. An hour a day. When we get up in the morning, or we go to bed at night, whenever, let's try it. We're not sure about all this. Because as we become spiritually minded, we begin, our eyes are opened. That this is, this is God's way. Having a relationship with Him and drawing close to Him in prayer. 
Why aren't all these leaders of churches doing that? It's a deception of the human nature, the natural mind, the old man. It's a deception. And it is so easy for us to fall into it. I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't experienced it who's been a Christian for a while. And the answer is to be spiritually minded and to find that life, that living Christian life that Jesus talked about, the abundant life. I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. A spiritual life. It's not for Him. It's for us. He's doing this for us. Of course He wants a relationship with us. Of course He loves us. But it's us who gets the benefit of all that. The privilege of the children of God. The people who are not the children of God don't have this privilege. They don't have this right. They may throw out prayers to a God of their own understanding. But it is to the God, the true God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the God. That if we become His children, we have a privilege that is amazing and powerful. That we can come to Him with our burdens every day. That's a privilege. That's not a task. That's not a job. It's not an obligation. It's well beyond that. It's a privilege and a blessing to come to our Father every day. And to be in His presence. What do you think we're going to do when we get there? You'll see him as he is. <clears throat> the carnal mind is at enmity against God. Of course, the enemy of our soul, the devil... Is also trying to distract us, doing every kind of exercise, every kind of jumping jacks he can to, to divert us and to distract our attention away from these truths. Every kind of distraction you can imagine. And sometimes you just have to shut that phone off and turn off whatever media, whatever distractions get alone. I think that we can make a lot of excuses for why we don't have that kind of time. But I think that a lot of that stuff is lesser things. Some of those things are real. But again, if we come to the Lord, remember, it's not just us desiring to be, to be in contact with Him and to be filled with His Spirit, He desires that also. And He desires to help us. And so, when we read later in chapter 8 of Romans, He says, in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray as we ought to. 
But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We just bring our burden to the Lord, and we don't know how to pray the way we should. But we have a helper if we're in Christ. The helper is the Spirit of God Himself, the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. And that Spirit of God is praying with us as a helper. Jesus called him our helper and our comforter and our guide to help us in prayer, to guide us in our prayers, and to pray along with us to the Father, but according to the will of God. We don't always know what the will of God is. The Holy Spirit does, because He's God too. And so He intercedes to the Father, it says. In verse 27, Now He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Holy Spirit, our helper, in presenting our prayers. We present them as best we can, but we have a prayer partner, a most powerful prayer partner, the Spirit of God, presenting our prayers to the Father according to God's will. And it says, also, in verse 34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who is making intercession for us. Another prayer partner who is praying for us also. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father where he presented his blood to the Father. And it is because of this blood that we have access to the throne of the Father. We can come boldly to the Father. Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy for our time of need. We can come boldly through the blood of Jesus. If we're feeling ashamed and and uh, unworthy, we just empty it all, confess our sins, repent, whatever we need to do. Through the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly, be cleansed and purified, and then we're clean and we can come boldly before the throne of grace. The word justified, as is mentioned in the book of Romans, I heard preachers saying, we could say it's just as if I'd never sinned. We can be cleansed completely, that God cast it in the sea of his forgetfulness. And he will remember our sins and our evil deeds no more. Justified. Accepted before God through the blood of Jesus. That's what it's all about. And then we can come boldly because we are, the, we are his children. And we are free. We are in a place of liberty. So finally, I had a few more thoughts I had written down. 
Bible says to continue earnestly in prayer. We need God's help in that, the assistance of the Holy Spirit in that. And to put to death the flesh that's trying to resist us in this. This is something. We have to recognize our enemies. I remember one time these people were studying. This was back in the 60s. People were studying all the things about the Russians and everything. Back that time, the Russians were enemies to the United States. So why are you studying you know, your enemies like that? So We've got to know what they're up to. We've got to know what they're about. We have to know what our enemies are up to. And the enemies of our soul, the Bible talks about the devil, but also our human nature, the flesh, is in resistance. It doesn't understand the things of God. That's why the Bible tells us to crucify, to bring it to the cross and deaden it. We also read in Romans 8, it says, if we live after the flesh, we will die. But if we, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. And that's our obligation, it says in there. That's our exhortation to us. That flesh that's resisting us, resisting us going to prayer, resisting us getting to know our Father, resisting us having that right and, and that joyful relationship, that abundant life with Him, we got to crucify that. we got to put that to death. It's resisting us. Continue earnestly in prayer. We read a couple weeks ago in the men's meeting in book of, the book of Acts, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. When you devote yourself to something, that means you're committed to it. Devotion. When we have devotion to something, we're committed to it. We're persistent in it. We're fervent in it. Persistent, the, the fervent, what's it saying uh, about Elijah and James? The something fervent prayer of the righteous man. Effective. The effective, thank you. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous man. Fervent, hot, compassionate, on fire. Peter says, using the word fervent, he says, the elements will, when, when the Lord destroys the heavens and the earth and creates a new heaven and the earth, it says the elements will melt with fervent heat. James talks about prayer being that way, fervent. Well, how do I get to that place? Crucify the flesh. And Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. Come to me. And we hear that call from that still, small voice. When we've been with Jesus, and when we're with Jesus, our life changes. And the peace of God that passes understanding overtakes us. Let the peace of God rule your heart. This message is not just for just certain ones, it's for everybody. To come to Christ. 
cross of Jesus delivers from the prayerless spirit, from all the works of the flesh, from this resistance that resists us, that keeps us on the merry-go-round and keeps us from the life of prayer. You remember when Jesus cast out the money changers that were in the temple. You remember that story, right? He comes in there with a whip of cords, and he drives out all the herds and the cattle. He turns over the, all the money changers that are ripping the people off right in the temple. And he said, It is written from the Old Testament, he quotes, My house shall be called a house of prayer to all the nations. You made it a den of thieves. So where is that house of prayer now? It's not in Jerusalem anymore. Where is that temple of God? The Bible tells us that we're the temple of God. The house of prayer. God has called us to be a house of prayer. So now it's time for us. It's time for us to take Turn over those things that are not right in our hearts. To drive out those things, not in our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit. Put to death those things that are not right in that temple. And to honor God in our hearts and our, and our bodies, in our minds and our spirit. To be separate, holy, and undefiled work of God. As God is at work in us, He calls us to work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to do and to will of His good pleasure. That's what I have to share. Any you brothers have anything else to comment on this or anything else uh, have we got fit like 15 minutes yet? Use it. I might read just something in Luke 18. Luke 18? Luke 18, yeah. It's just, uh, gives the support and encouragement on what you were talking about, prayer. And he, this is verse 1 I start reading, and he spake a parable unto them as the to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, uh, by that, I can understand that the tendency is to lose heart and to faint, to lose courage, because you know we want to we want to see our prayers answered. But uh, it, he goes on and he says. There was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city 
And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? Though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Um, you know, I heard I heard one share about that one time. He said, "Why does he compare God, in a sense, with such a evil man?" the unjust uh, judge. But you see, speedily, to answer the prayer speedily uh, may not be like we think of speedily. <laughs> because one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. God has always our sanctification and deliverance in mind and all that he does. So if we withhold from instantly answering my prayer, he has something more in mind than that. So, but he does it as quickly as possible, I would say that. As quickly as it's safe to give me what I pray for. Or maybe first he wants to help me change my mind about what I'm praying for. Maybe he's saying, hey, that's not something you really need. But one thing that it brings out is that we have a Father that loves us, like we heard. He, it's not just we have to beg and plead and, and it's so difficult to get attention, uh, get his attention and all that. No, he's very interested. He's very interested, not just that um, he answers my prayer, but also that I'm interested interested enough in my prayer that I give it uh, to God to teach me what I need to change, what I need to see how I need to understand things because maybe my prayer isn't perfect, you know. So, but the key is don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't throw up your hands and say, God never answers my prayers. I hear, I, uh, I heard people say that. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I was in Camden, New Jersey. I was, I just came out from getting something to eat. And of course when I went when I went there I usually made some sandwiches and put some sodas along to share with people. But then this man come walking across the street came to me, Hey, would you give me a few dollars I get something to eat? I said, I have something for you. I'll give you a sandwich. 
and uh, I gave him a sandwich, and then I started talking to him about the Lord and how, you know, God can help us. He got so fiercely angry, he took the sandwich and he threw it in the trash. He never answered many prayer for me. He was so mad. Something really drastically happened to this man. He, but it's like we have to give up our will before God, not demand our rights or what we want. Or let, let's open ourselves up to God. What is wrong with me, God? What do you want to change so that my prayers are more in harmony with your will? So that it's not, you know, it says they that delight themselves in the Lord. Uh, um, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Give you the desires of your heart. It's like that man, I think I shared this one time, that man I was working for, and uh, that was, um, what do they call that? SUV, Cadillac SUV. Escalade. Huh? Escalade. Escalade, yeah. Come, come around the corner. He said, damn, that's what I want. And God said, if I delight myself in him, he will give me the desires of my heart. Wow. Uh, I saw through that one. <laughs> I saw through that one. I was like, delighting in the Lord is not delighting in that thing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But anyhow, we need to learn from God. There's so much to learn if we're willing. If we're willing to learn, he'll teach us what, where the true values are. What, if I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to show me what's really important in life. What is really the thing I need to make life good. It's not about all these earthly things. It's about a divine life, about being able to love when people hate me. Not well up inside and angry, <coughs> responding that way. But anyhow, if, let's not give up. Let's not lose heart. If things don't look right, let's keep going. Let's keep praying. Lord, what do you want me to change? <laughs> Something Leonard Ravenhill used to say was uh, that our spiritual life, you know, can in some ways be gauged by our prayer life. You know, are we are we looking for opportunity to slip away and be alone with the Lord? Are we seeking after that and desiring that, um, or are we? Is our prayer life is about attractive as a mouthful of sand, is what he would say. But um, I think it's true, though. I think um, we, if we look at our life and uh, reflect on how how much we desire to slip away and to be with the Lord, you know, and and if we're not. Um, it's an indication that there's something wrong, something wrong with our, our spiritual life. So back to where we started today with, with the unbelief. How can a whole group of 
leaders of the church, most of them not be praying and having a regular prayer life. You think you would think that that would be just a natural thing to do, but it's not. Even no matter who you are, and no matter what your position in the church, it's not the natural thing to do to pray. And the spirit, it's a spiritual thing to do, not the natural. And what is at the root of it? Unbelief. Not believing that all the other things we're doing instead of that are less important than being alone with the Lord. It's a deception, a grand deception. And we have to fight that with everything in us. Crucify it, the Bible says. It's the flesh. Oh, I gotta do this first. Oh, I gotta do that first. Oh, I gotta do this. And after that, I gotta do that. And after that, I gotta do that. There's that. There's that merry-go-round. You know? I remember when Kate and I got married. One of the things when I got home, I, you know, she'd been with the kids all day. So I wanted to take some time to be alone with the Lord. And, you know? and then sometimes, she, you know, on my day off, I'd have, you know, and then we would make, we would help each other out with that. Be considerate of each other's the spiritual need to be able to you know so it's there's you can work it out if there's a will there's a way to do it God will show you Jesus was approached by his disciples and they said Lord teach us to pray and sometimes we don't know how to do this you know we don't know how to reorganize our life and reschedule it so that it's in proper priority Lord teach me Come to the Lord. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me how to get get close to you. Teach me these things. I know that's what you want. That's what I want too. Of course that's what the God of course that's what God the Father wants. If we want it, then we're in agreement with Him. Let's pray.